Okay, if you would, flip with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, they should be there on the back. Hey, and by the way, b- before we start, um, if you go to story.church slash events, we, we have uh, some baptism classes and membership classes and, and child dedication stuff coming up. If, if that's you, if you want to be a member, if you want to get baptized, if you want to see uh, your child dedicated to the Lord, go ahead and uh, visit that events page and sign up there. Acts chapter 20. So for the last five weeks, if you're new to Story Church, we've been in a series called God's Design for Leadership. Uh, and in, in this series, what we've done is we've installed, as, as Ken shared, uh, some new lay pastors, volunteer pastors who are laying their lives down for the sake of this church and not, as Ken said, getting paid to do it. And so we've spent five weeks kind of considering who are elders and what do elders do. So first, we talked about elders know the flock. Elders know you, they know your circumstances, they know your situation, they're involved in life with you. The saying is, a shepherd smells like sheep. So we're in your lives. Elders feed the flock. That we, as a church, are committed, utterly committed, whether it be in counseling, or in classes, or in groups, or in story kids, or here in this gathering, we are committed to feeding you with the word of God, because nothing else will give you nourishment, and vitality, and vigor, and life in this world. We are committed to feed the flock. Elders are also committed to lead the flock, that we prayerfully before God discern how, should story, how story Church should be led, what direction should she go, how should we steward her resources. We are committed to doing that prayerfully before the Lord. This week, we're talking about protecting the flock. Now, before we jump into the text, I, I want the, uh, is it, yeah, so the artwork is here on the screen. I want, you, I want to consider for a second the imagery behind this and, 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 and how it ties into the scriptures. So we, the church, are called sheep. We are flock. And, and I know like in the last few years, it's been like sheeple and it's like got this negative connotation. That's just dumb. Like, don't talk like that. Um, because if you're a follower of Jesus, you should hand up, I'm a sheep. I am a sheep. I am a follower of Jesus. I submit to Jesus. I am obedient to Jesus. But, but consider for a second how the scriptures describe Jesus. In John chapter 10, he is called the, the good shepherd. He is one who protects us and guides us. And that word shepherd is capital S. What that means is Jesus is the true and only senior pastor of every church. Every other elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, whatever word you have there in the New Testament, we are simply submissive to the good shepherd. We are called under shepherds. And in Psalm chapter 23, we get some descriptions of how the good shepherd would lead us. The good shepherd leads us by still waters. He leads us to green pastures. He leads us into a growing righteousness. He sits with us at a table in the presence of our enemies. But there's also a curious statement there in Psalm 23. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, if you've ever seen how a shepherd uses his rod and his staff, it, it, it doesn't really jive with his idea of comfort. Like when I think of comfort, I think of like a pillow or my bed. But the way in which... 
A shepherd uses his staff is in a few different ways. I actually have one in my office and I was gonna bring it here, but I don't use props, so that's just the way it goes. Here's the three ways a shepherd uses his staff. The first way is he protects the sheep against wolves. So sheep, at night, they would build temporary sheep pens and they would put a temporary gate because they were nomadic people. And so what they would do is they would gather those sheep into the sheep pen and then the shepherd would stand watch at night and he would be outside of the sheep pen looking for coyotes, wolves, mountain lions, pumas, whatever. And as they came to try and eat and devour and take down the sheep, they would stand there and fend off the wolves. So Jesus, our good shepherd, does for us. He protects us. The second way that a shepherd uses his rod and staff, as a sheep begins to kind of veer offline, off the path, mountainous terrain, rugged terrain, you know, like Bo Peep, she's got that little loop at the top of it. They would grab that thing, put it around the sheep's neck, and just say, hey, get back in line. Just get back in line. Now, I was going to do that to Scott this morning, but that's workplace harassment, so um, not happening. Jesus, as he sees us kind of veering off course, he gently loops that around us, says, hey, get back in line. Get back in line. He's the good shepherd. The third and final way a shepherd uses his rod and staff, if a sheep is hard-headed, neglects the shepherd, runs from the shepherd. If he continues to move against the grain, he would take that staff, the shepherd would, and break the legs of the sheep, throw them over his shoulders and say, we're going this way. If we continue to be hard-hearted to the way of Jesus, in his grace, he breaks our legs and says, you're not going the way I'm telling you to, so I'm gonna carry you because I am guaranteeing I am going to finish the work that I've started. It's in his goodness that he breaks our legs sometimes. And so, as we consider this idea that as under-shepherds, we mimic and we follow and we lead like Jesus leads his people, it is our job as your pastors to protect you. It is our job to defend you, to guide you, to lead you, and every once in a while to have that hard conversation with you. So here's what we're going to talk about this morning. Here's the main point. Shepherds protect the flock by guarding the truth, watching over your souls, defending against wolves, and building up the church. We're gonna just break that down, just kind of sentence by sentence, with each of those being kind of a, a subpoint as we go. We there? We're good? We're awake? We need more coffee, caffeine? How are we feeling? All right, let's move. It's been three weeks, guys, okay? And if you've been around Story Church for a while, that just means I'm going long this morning. All right, we're doing it. I hounded those guys, right, Scott? Less than 35 minutes. If you don't, I'm going to take you to the gallows, but I'm going longer. It's just, I'm just saying it. First point, shepherds protect the flock by guarding the truth. 
A bit of context on this chapter in Acts chapter 20. So Paul has spent more than three years with the church at Ephesus. He planted the church. He preached the gospel in Ephesus. He saw people come to salvation. He baptized them. And then what he did was he spent three years calling and training and guiding and leading these people until he was able to install elders at the church at Ephesus to lead that church because Paul was not a pastor. Paul was a missionary. Paul said, I got to go on to my next location. And his ultimate, his ultimate vision was to go to Rome to plant a church in Rome. So he raised up pastors to take the church there at Ephesus. And he is right here in Acts chapter 20, writing his goodbye, so to speak, to this church. And he directs the final part of his goodbyes to the, to the elders at the church at Ephesus. So, so glance down to verse 25 there. Acts chapter 20, verse 25 through 27. Here's what Paul says. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. In other words, I'm gonna die, right? I'm gonna go to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm gonna go die for the sake of the gospel, probably in Rome. We're not gonna see each other again. I'm not gonna speak to you again. These are my final words. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In telling these elders to protect the flock, Paul leads with, you protect by guarding the truth. You proclaim the whole counsel of God. You proclaim the kingdom of God. Elsewhere in 1 Timothy 3, it's called able to teach. In Titus, it's called guarding sound doctrine. As your pastors, we are committed to protecting you by putting forth the truth of God's word. Paul says, I never shrunk from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Why is this so important to your protection? Elsewhere, Ephesians chapter four, Paul says this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And here it is. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul says, hey, shepherds, pastors, teachers, evangelists, their job is to build you up into full maturity. And how do you do that? You put forth the truth because the inclination of the human heart is to be tossed to and fro. That as every new wind of doctrine comes about in our culture, we are easily swayed by those things. We are easily carried about by human cunning and deceitful schemes. Elsewhere in the scripture, it says, we have ears that want to be tickled. We just want to hear something that makes us feel good. Right? And the scriptures convict us, right? Conviction doesn't always feel good. So Paul says, I know I know the only way you're going to defend against human cunning and deceitful schemes and false teaching is to guard sound doctrine. You will not wander into myths tossed about by the winds and the waves if we guard sound doctrine. Listen, if a shepherd allows impure theology to affect, infect a church, 
he has failed in his duty to protect that church. But how does Paul do this? How does he guard truth? He proclaims the whole counsel of God. He is committed from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, opening this week after week, meeting after meeting, prayer after prayer, and saying, here is what God's word says, and we are constrained to be obedient to it, even and especially when we don't like it, even and especially when it comes up against our natural human fallenness and sinfulness. Now, why is proclaiming the whole counsel of God so important? Two things happen. You confront lies and truth is exalted. If you commit to going all through the scriptures, lies in our culture will be confronted. This is nothing new. This is the reason why, Story Church, I like to talk a lot about cultural idols when I have the opportunity to preach. Here's what I mean by cultural idols. We live in a particular time, in a particular place, in a particular region, surrounded by a particular group of people, which means there's a particular messaging that is always around us, that if we're not careful, we're just going to absorb and walk in by osmosis. And so I always like to call out three primary ones that I think are particular to Rancho Cucamonga in 2023 with a group of people like us. The first one I always want to call out because this is top of the list is money and materialism. Money makes a terrible God. You cannot worship both God and money. You cannot simultaneously bow down to and submit to Christ as Lord and also serve money. Did you know in 2008, during the Great Recession, that sales at Victoria Gardens, the Irvine Spectrum Center, and what's the one in Costa Mesa called? The, whatever that one's called. Gotcha. You know what it's called. Scott doesn't shop. Scott shops for dolls on eBay, Star Wars dolls. <laughs> um, during 2008, sales more than tripled. Did you know in the last two years, as inflation has gone up and used car prices have gone through the roof, car sales are up almost 70%. As we feel the press of the frailty of money, we step into retail therapy because we think money is our security. We think money is the way we provide for ourselves. We think money is the way in which we are ultimately secure. We are surrounded by that messaging. Even if you don't have money, you got to appear like you got it. Money. I talk about identity outside of Jesus a lot, right? That's why in the world it's called identity politics. Your political affiliation, your gender, your sexual orientation, your race, your background, your education level, your accomplishments, the job you have, we are told that is who you are. You are nothing more than your political affiliation. You are nothing more than your ethnicity. 
But what the scriptures teach us is that our identity is child of God and everything else is downhill from that. And it changes everything. It changes the way we make decisions and the way we live and the way in which we speak to others. And then finally, I love to talk about self-reliance. I'm independent. I don't need no help. I don't need support. I don't need accountability. I don't need authority. I don't need to submit to anyone. Don't you dare tell me what to do, right? And that's me. Just the other day, Katie um, said to me, uh, she got me to coach again in ASO, even though I, pu- I publicly retired. So I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I lied. Um, Katie's making me coach again. They have so many requirements to be a coach. And I'm like, all right, I found a loophole there. I'm not doing that. All right, I don't, I'm gonna test the boundaries here. I don't think they really are. It's not California law, liars. So I push the buttons, right? And she's like, you hate authority. You hate being told what to do. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm still not doing it. Um, but I'm gonna... I'm, I am. I'm leaving right after church to go get fingerprinted, even though I've done that 74 times in the last two years. (laughs) Self-reliance, independence. I don't need help. I don't submit to anyone. I don't belong to anyone. And when you are committed to guarding the truth as a church and you preach the whole counsel of God, you are going to come across scripture after scripture, passage after passage that will expose these lies. And remember, it is for our good to be trapped by lies is to walk in darkness. And that's not what Jesus wants for us. So we preach the whole counsel of God, but it's not just that. It doesn't just expose lies. It also shows the beauty of truth. It just shows the absolute beauty of walking in the light of the truth of God's word. I mean, let's think about this for a second. Let's talk about money. The Bible, again, teaches us you cannot simultaneously worship money and God. The Bible says that money is the root of all kinds of evils. Now, that gets misinterpreted to say money is evil. It's not what it says. Money is a good thing from the hand of God to be stewarded for his glory and for the good of others. And the Bible teaches us that the way of Christ our Lord is the way of generosity. And as we, as the people of God, step into generosity, we step into the abundant life that Jesus has for us. Ken just talked about it a second ago in Malachi 3. God says, test me. You think I can't provide for you? You think your money provides for you? (laughs) Test me. You think money is your security? Test me. I'll take it from you and you'll still be okay test God. And now now here's the truth, church. For the first two and a half years of our existence, we have been wildly generous, individually here. And then we as a church have been, been able to give away hundreds of thousands of dollars as a brand new church to the ends of the earth. But the reality is over the last six months, we have not done well here. And I know the experience that you guys are all walking through because I'm walking through it in my home. Katie and I, we got the gas bill last week. Right? We go to the grocery store and we say, all right, is it the eggs or the chicken? 
Which one comes first? <laughs> Can't afford both. And then what we do is we look at our giving to Story Church, and just like Ken, a percentage increase every year, percentage, percentage, percentage. And we say, all right, how can, how can we pull back from giving to the church so that we can get the chicken and the eggs? And then God convicts us and says, no, no, I will provide for you. The way of God's people is generosity, increasing generosity. And, and, and again, church, we, we just have not done good here. There's been stop giving, pause giving, pull back on giving. And again, I get it. Times are tough. But do you trust that God will provide for you? Your heart shows that through your generosity. So I want to challenge you, church. Step into that in new ways. Step into that. And, and I am saying this for your good. Because I believe we will step into, and you individually will step into, that abundant life that Jesus has for us. And I'm not saying that as a prosperity preacher that's like, you're going to get the G5. I am saying that in your soul is going to be satisfied. That you're going to see the mission of God go forward, and you're going to feel full of the Spirit because of what God has done through your giving. That's what I believe God has for us, church. Step into it. So when we guard the truth, we expose lies and we show the beauty of the truth of God's word. And we are committed to doing that for you, church. Number two, I am going really long today. <laughs> Shepherds protect the flock by watching over your souls. Look back down at verse 28 of Acts chapter 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, pastors, elders, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We pay careful attention. That is to be alert, be watchful, keep your head on a swivel, so to speak. What, what does Paul say to pay careful attention to? First, pay careful attention to yourself, he says to the pastors. Watch your own life. Watch your own tendencies. Watch your own sinfulness. Why? We want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of the gospel. And if all we're doing is looking outward, we're not going to see what's going wrong inward. And so we are committed as a group of elders to call each other out and to see each other grow in holiness so that we might lead in the way of Jesus. But then after that, he says, watch over the souls entrusted to your care. It's a bit like the, the oxygen mask situation on a plane. When the cabin pressure drops, the oxygen masks come down. What do they say? They always say, put yours on first and then put your kids on. That's what Paul's saying here. Hey, take care of yourselves. Watch your souls first and then watch out for the souls of others. Why, why does he say, watch out for the souls of others? Church, the truth of the matter is, if no one is watching over your soul, if we're not watching over your soul, no one is. Okay, because here's the thing. No one thinks about you more than you. No one talks to you more than you. No one considers you more than you. Translation, no one's thinking about you. It's just not happening, right? We're all prideful, I'm different. It's like, no, no. But God has commissioned elders to think about you, to consider you, to pray for you to be aware of your life and what's going on in your soul. And we want to 
convince you of the life that Jesus has for you. And when we see you wandering from the faith, we're gonna loop that, that staff just around your neck a little bit and say, come on, come on back. If we see you walking in unrepentant sin, we're gonna call you on that. If we see you neglecting the regular duties of the faith, we're gonna say, hey, this is for your good. We're calling you out on that. We are protecting you by watching over your souls. Now, that sounds bad, right? Like, you're, you're, are, you, are you studying me? Now, think about this. None of us like TSA, right? You get to the line, and you're like, oh, I take these shoes off, pull the laptop out, get all the liquids out, wait in this line, take the belt off, and then I got to put it all back on, right? None of us like that until they don't have it and someone's on that plane with something you don't want on that plane. It is for your good that TSA is watching over your flying experience. It is for your good that pastors are watching over your faith experience. So when we call you and we say, hey brother, I heard the way you talked to your wife on Sunday. I don't think that's okay. You need to repent from that. It's for your good. We call you, hey sister, we haven't seen you at church in six weeks, is everything okay? We think you should be there, it's for your good. Hey friend, I see you're, you're not giving. This is the way of Christ the Lord. I think you should consider that, it's for your good. We protect you by watching over your souls and convincing you of the way of Jesus. Number three, shepherds protect the flock by defending against wolves. Remember the rod and the staff, the, the good shepherd is standing outside the sheep pen protecting against wolves who would want to jump in and destroy the sheep. Jump down to verse 29 through 31 of Acts 20. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul talks about two different types of wolves that will be in a church. There are wolves from outside and there are wolves from within. Outside and within. And we see across the New Testament three types of behavior that wolves will exhibit in the life of a church. Let me walk through those three different things. Number one, most prominently, wolves seek to teach falsehood. We already talked about guarding the truth as shepherds, so we won't spend much time here, but when a wolf comes in our midst and actively starts to, to spread false, falsehood and lies, we're gonna confront that person, find that person. Listen, Story Church would be about three times the size that it is right now if I let everyone preach that's offered to preach. It's like they come up to me and they're like, hey, brother, I got a word for Story Church. And I'm like, hey, brother, when God gives me that word, I'll give it. Um, hey, brother, God told me to preach at Story Church. Hey, brother, when God tells me you should preach at Story Church, you're gonna preach at Story Church. Until then, enjoy the sidelines. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, we have had people come to this church intent on spreading falsehood and lies, and, and you probably don't know about it because as your pastors, we are protecting you from those things. We are shielding you from lies and falsehood. 
Second thing wolves do is they spread disunity. This is from within, whispering little lies, little rumors that cause division and distrust and doubt. Listen, the church of God is beautiful. It has its warts, to be sure. But Jesus died for this church. And Jesus is actively sanctifying this church into a bride worthy of him as our groom. So this church is beautiful. This is the church that Jesus is growing and sanctifying. And I am sick and tired of people poo-pooing on the church everywhere. I just am. Not this church, the church. Jesus loves the church and the church is God's plan A for the world. The church is the way in which the mission in the kingdom of God goes forward. And so if there's someone that you're involved with that all they do is say bad things about the church, man, be afraid, be aware, be alert. That's probably a wolf. If someone gossips to you, they gossip about you. You know that, right? <laughs> you think you're special, right? No, they're turning around to the next person they talk to and talking smack about you. That's a wolf spreading disunity. Finally, wolves promote sin. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A wolf will say, that's okay. Did God really say? That's okay. I think God's wrong there. That's okay. You should do it. Follow me, not as I follow Jesus, but follow me as I walk in sin. And if we see that, we're gonna call that to repentance and deal with it. But notice the posture of the elder. Paul says, I never cease to admonish you with tears. Admonishment is this act of encouragement, but it's not as like peppy as you think it is. Admonishment is a bit like a parent sitting you down across a table and saying, you're gonna to listen to me. I don't wanna hear any defense. Don't talk back here. I have some things to say to you. Just listen to me, right? You've ever had that experience with your parent? I hope you have, because that means your parent loves you. If you haven't, that's, that's scary. That's what Paul says. That's how he's dealing with the church at Ephesus when he sees little things like unrepentant sin and, and, and doubt and, and division sprouting forth. He says, I admonished you. I sat with you and said, that's not good. Follow the way of Jesus. And notice he does it with tears. It's not like Paul is sitting there saying like, I can't wait for the wolves, baby. He's like, no, I don't wanna do this. This hurts. You think it's easy for a shepherd to break the legs of his sheep and carry him? It's hard, it's painful, it's tough, but it's for your good. So we protect against wolves. Final point here. Shepherds protect the flock by building up the church. Now, if all of this so far sounds a little bit negative or harsh, I get it, but that's just what the scripture says. I wasn't super excited to write these things or preach. Stephen was supposed to preach this week, but he had to go to a funeral in Kansas. So I came in as a relief pitcher, but I wasn't like super stoked on this. But here's the truth. Katie and I, we kind of experience and, and take in entertainment a little bit differently. Okay, so Katie wants to watch, you know, like fairy tale things. Not, not, not like Disney movies or anything, but she wants to watch shows that have a bow on, on it and, and a happy ending, okay? I want to watch shows like Breaking Bad, you know? Better Call Saul. Like, give me the darkness. I want it. I, I crave the darkness. 
And I, I just wanna see, and, and here's my defense, okay? It's reality. That's all those shows are doing is show, you don't think Walter White's a real person? Like he's a character in the show, but that's happening everywhere, okay? And, and so what I wanna do is watch things that are real. She wants to watch little fairy tale things, but in preaching a sermon like this, I just have to say, hey, this is reality. Lies are gonna try and seep in. Unrepentant sin is gonna try and seep in. And it is our job to talk about reality and protect you from that reality. But Paul finishes with saying, hey, it's not just about defensive actions. There's an offensive action here. There's some things we can do to move forward. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says the final way that shepherds protect the flock is by building them up. Offensively. I commend you to God. You're in his hands. The chief shepherd loves you and he's for you. I give you his word of grace. His grace for sinners. Good news for you and me. That when we wander, there's forgiveness in his wings. That as we neglect him, he pays attention to us. That as we forsake him, he never forsakes us. That as we do not follow the way of the Lord, he says, I'm gonna take you anyways. He, nothing, as we sang, can pluck us from the hand of God. You are in his grace, child of God. I give, I wanna, he talks about the inheritance of the saints, this incredibly bright future we have in Jesus where our faith becomes sight and we're in his presence forevermore. And you will be sanctified day by day, inch by inch, moment by moment, you will grow to look more like Jesus. And the best way we will protect you is by being committed to your sanctification, by being committed to you looking more like Jesus, by being committed to seeing repentance grow in our church. Why? On the other end of repentance is forgiveness. We're committed to seeing worship grow in our church. And worship isn't just singing. Worship is all of life being used for the glory of God. We are committed to laying the word before you week after week after week so that we would see and absorb and walk in obedience to the word. We are committed to seeing you know and walk in your gifts, that you would not just be a passive observer, but you would be someone who is utterly committed to participating in the kingdom of God because everyone in here is beautiful and necessary and gifted for the mission of God. We wanna call you to that. We are committed to seeing the mission of God go forward. There are people in Rancho Cucamonga and beyond who have not yet heard of the name of Jesus and God has ordained you to be the person who brings the name of Jesus to them. And so we are committed to saying, we're gonna equip you, go. We're gonna equip you, go. We're gonna equip you, go. We are utterly committed to building you up. How does building work? Well, first you lay a foundation, right? And you gotta have a good foundation. The gospel is our foundation. Jesus has lived for us and died for us. And Jesus is intent on building his church up and saving more people. That's his purpose in this world. We have our foundation. And then after you lay the foundation, you put the cornerstone, right? 
And off of the cornerstone, you know what your line's gonna be and you know that it's gonna be level. The word of God is our cornerstone. It is going to go forth and it will not return to God void. And then after you lay the cornerstone, you just put brick by brick by brick by brick, slowly but surely. In 2003-ish, my parents built a home, right? And it, it took, how many months did it take, mom? Little over a year. That's my mom. (laughs) Love you, mom. Aw. I'm going to ask for something later now. I don't know what. Um, Little over a year, right? Day one, you're like, gosh, nothing's gotten done here. Day 45, nothing has finished here. Day day 200, what's going on? Is this ever going to finish? little over a year later, you look back and there's this beautiful home on what used to be a blank space. This is the Christian life. God is building you up. And you look different now than you did yesterday. You look different now than you did three years ago. And hopefully, by God's grace, you will look different in one year, three years, and 30 years from now because the foundation has been laid, because the cornerstone has been set, and because the church is committed to building you up by the grace of God. And that is the primary way you will be protected. And so when we say, hey, we've designed ministries around here for your good, we think you should regularly be at worship. Why? You need fellowship. You need prayer. You need communion. We think you should be involved in a small group community. Why? We can't practice the one another's here. We can in some ways, but as you get into a smaller community, you can truly bear with and bear up one another in ways that we can't accomplish here. When we say come to prayer night, we're saying this is for your good. When we're saying give, it's for your good. When we're saying serve, it's for your good. When we're saying come to X, Y, or Z, it is for your good. We just want to see you brick by brick, day by day, look more like Jesus so that 30 years from now, I can look back and say, Travis Cunningham at 32, 33, he was a fool. But by God's grace, he's a little less of a fool now. That's all I hope for, for you and for me. Now, every once in a while, I get a little bit nervous about preaching a sermon, a little bit like this. And I've had this thought in my head that's gone around for a long time that's just like, what if, what if this goes wrong? What if this is received with the wrong tone or, or it's offensive or, or it seems harsh or condescending. I, I think, what if it goes wrong? And, and over the last kind of week or so, God's been challenging me in my own mind saying, what if it goes right? Right? What if it goes right? What if we guard the truth and refute lies and walk in truth? How beautiful could our church be? What if it goes right and and we are committed to watching over your souls? We call out your sin, call you to repent of your sin, and you do that. What if that goes right? Think about the forgiveness and beauty you get to walk in. What if we defend against wolves? We push out division. We call out gossip. we, We walk away from sin and falsehood. Imagine the peace that would exist here. What if we are committed to building one another up as Jesus would build us up, that we would truly become who we already are in Christ, beloved, adopted, children of God, walking in the holiness that he intends for us? What if it goes right? Imagine what this church would look like 
we would be a city set on a hill, a light that is not covered, attracting people to the mission and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of Jesus. I actually believe if something like this goes right, church, we could experience revival. I believe that. And what I can say is we as your pastors are committed to protecting you. We are committed to know, lead, feed, and protect you. The question is, are you gonna be joyfully committed to receiving the care and protection of your elders? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that it is through his life, death, and resurrection that we have any kind of hope, any kind of peace, any kind of joy, any kind of life in this world. And we know, God, that our Savior Jesus is utterly committed to our good. And so we pray that you would make us a church who submits to him and to, to his good shepherding over us, that we would walk in the truth that he has given us, that we would be guarded against lies and falsehood, that we would walk away and turn from sin, that we would be a people who are committed to being built up and looking more like Jesus. And as a result, God, we would all individually and collectively flourish in such a way that we will look back a year from now and say, look at what God did. Only God, only God could do that. Make us into these people, we pray, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.